When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, the review for 1.5 and 1.6 from Unit 1, The Foundations of American Democracy. Uh, this recording is going to cover the ratification of the U.S. Constitution and the principles of American government. So, um, as always, remember you can reach out to me, remind, text me, uh, I'll respond to you there. Um, you can email me. The Yahoo account is CoachD underscore 1977yahoo.com. My school email is posted on our e-class page, and you can contact me that way. Uh, social media, you know, Twitter, uh, KDaniels, APGov, or the school one, uh, CHHSGov underscore civics, and I'll be happy to respond to you there. So however, however you need to get a hold of me or come see me, whatever you need to do to get your answers, please come find me, reach out to me, and let's get the, the questions answered. But let's jump right into the review. Uh, so topic 1.5 is the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. This is stuff you're probably pretty familiar with because it's stuff you've gone over. Uh, you had it last year in, in U.S. history. You've probably had it and seen it uh, in other places throughout your school career. So it's not totally new to you. Uh, but let's get going here. So first off, remember that, you know, in, in most of our classes, whether it's my class, uh, your U.S. history class or whatever it might be, a lot of times with the Constitution and the ratification, we go right from the article sucked to the Constitutional Convention to boom, we have a Constitution, let's go. Uh, it wasn't that quick and it wasn't that easy. It, it took, it, this was a process, okay, to get this thing done. And it took a lot of uh, kind of wheeling and dealing, uh, compromises and, and things like that. So the specific stuff we're supposed to talk about is the you need to be able to explain the ongoing impact of political negotiation and compromise at the Constitutional Convention. So what were the, the big compromises at our convention? Uh, there's a couple you need to know. The Great Compromise, the Connecticut Compromise, it's the same thing. I always call it the Great. Uh, the Three-Fifths, uh, the Commerce Compromise, don't confuse that with the Commerce Clause, and then the stuff about the Electoral Compromise. Electoral College. I was about to say the Electoral Constitution. Uh, so let's go through those. First off, the Great Compromise. You might also see it as the Connecticut. Don't get it mixed up. Um, it's either or. Uh, I grew up calling it the Great, so that's what I continue to call it. Uh, and even in our in our uh, notebook, our uh, standards, it's the Great with Connecticut in the parentheses. Anyways, this is the one that combined the Virginia plan and the New Jersey plan. Remember, the Virginia plan was the basis for the Constitution, and it called for a one-house legislature, okay, uh, with the representation based on population. Large states rejoice. The little states didn't like this plan so much because they felt it was going to be unfair to them and give the large states an unfair advantage. So they presented their own plan, the, the New Jersey plan, which is based on equality. So still a one-house legislature, but hey, let's all have the same amount of representation. That way there's no state that's too powerful, uh, no state that's not powerful. We're all the same. So the little states are happy about this one. Um, and so a lot of talk, a lot of discussion goes into this. Finally, they come up with a great compromise, uh, which is going to create the two-house 
bicameral legislature that we have today, where the Virginia plan was enacted with the House of Representatives. So that's based on population. Every state has different numbers, potentially. Uh, there are some states that are so small, they only have one. But uh, most states have different numbers for their representation. And then the New Jersey plan was enacted for the Senate, where everything's equal. So you have two senators for every state. So the Great Compromise is going to create our two-house legislature, the bicameral legislature, with the House of Representatives based on the Virginia plan and representation being based on population, and the Senate being created from the New Jersey plan where everything's equal. Okay. And it's actually, it kind of worked out good because now they're also a check on each other. We're going to talk about checks in a few minutes. Uh, they're a check on each other because uh, the House passes a bill. It has to go to the Senate. And if the Senate doesn't like it, it gets held up and vice versa. So one side can't pass something crazy without the other side getting a look at it. So it's kind of a good thing. Uh, the three-fifths compromise, everybody's probably familiar with this one. This was uh, dealing with representation. So since rep representation is going to be a big deal, big deal now, we have issues, okay? Uh, so population was going to count two things. It was going to count the amount of representation you had at the House plus uh, the amount of taxes you paid as a state. So we have a problem here. The South is wanting to count the slave population for representation purposes, but not for tax purposes. And then vice versa from the North. The North wanted to count the slave population for tax purposes, so the South had to pay more, but not for representation purposes. So we come to an Im uh, impasse there. All right. They eventually, once again, we snap our fingers in three-fifths, but remember, it takes a long time, it takes a while. Uh, eventually, they do come to a... <clears throat> agreement with a three-fifths compromise where they're going to count three for three-fifths of the slave population basically and then the importation of slaves now this deals with the importation of slaves but it's just imports in general uh was the hang-up um and the north versus the south once again here uh the north wanted to tax goods coming in you know tariffs and things like that uh and that would give the the federal government control uh, over the slave trade. And so the South was upset there. So the commerce compromise or the, the compromise on the importation of slaves, <clears throat> excuse me, was basically that the federal government was not going to tax imports and they weren't going to mess with the slave trade for 20 years. So I believe the year was 1808 where they could finally uh, begin to mess with it. And then the electoral college, remember, this is how we pick our president. Um, it is a process because people didn't really trust regular old citizens to pick a president. And so you get to go vote for the president in your state. And it's important, you know, don't, please don't be one of those people that think, oh, my vote doesn't matter. It does, because your person has to win the state in order to get those electoral college votes. But the electoral college is gonna be the one that actually picks the president, okay? Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, uh, not trusting the, of the American citizens versus trusting and this is going to be the compromise where we'll have the electoral college, all righty? Um, some other things from the uh, this this the ratification the um, in, not the impeachment but the uh, amendment process they spell it out in the Constitution. Hey, this is how you're going to uh, change the Constitution. And remember, you have to know these numbers. There's not many numbers you got to know, but you got to do know these. Uh, it's from Article Five, and it spells out the fact that a amendment has to be proposed in either Congress or a national convention. We do Congress because we already have it in place. Why, do, why would we call a national convention when we have a Congress in place? So Congress is going to propose an amendment. I propose an amendment uh, that we pick one time. 
you know, no daylight savings time anymore, no nothing like that. We just pick one time, whatever it might be. That's the proposal. If two thirds of the full Congress says yes, it goes to the next step. Okay, so two thirds of Congress has to approve a amendment proposal. All righty. Once they've approved it, it goes to the states, the state legislatures. We could do state conventions, but why when we already have the state legislatures in place? They get it uh, and they take a look at it and they will ratify it. You need three fourths of the states. So you need two thirds and then three fourths of the states to sign off on this thing in order for an amendment to become an official part of the Constitution. This was done. It was made pretty difficult so that, um, you know, we don't just have any old amendment being passed. We want these things to be serious. We want these things to be necessary because you're altering the Constitution. You're changing the Constitution. Uh, but, you know, there's a little bit of a couple of things here. You got federalism here, which we're going to talk about at the next podcast, where you have the, the, the national level Congress with the state signing off on it. You have a check and balance between the, the federal level and the state level. Okay. You also need to know and remember this is a purely legislative process. There is no presidential amendments. The president, you know, can suggest, recommend, but at the end of the day, it's going to have to be Congress that's going to propose this thing. And then the states are going to have to sign off on it. There's no courts. The courts don't get to, you know, go through and say, well, that amendment is unconstitutional. Well, no, the, that amendment is part of the Constitution. It's constitutional. You just have to make decisions now based uh, on it, okay? So uh, a lot of stuff goes in there, um, and um, that, remember, is Article 5 of the Constitution, all right? Um, okay, going on to 1.6, the principles of the American government. Um, the... Two learning objectives here are explain constitutional principles of separation of powers and checks and balances, and then the implications of separation of powers and checks and balances for the U.S. political system. So, first up, the separation of powers and checks and balances. Don't get these things confused, all right? Separation of powers comes from Montesquieu, Baron de Montesquieu. Remember, he had lived during a time when one person could make a rule, enforce that rule, and then judge that rule. And he doesn't think that's that's right. And so that's what he writes about. He, he writes about the fact that only we don't need to have one person having all these powers. And so that's why we have the separation of powers. We have the three branches. We have Congress that writes the laws. We have the president that enforces. And we have the judicial branch, which is one to judge. So don't get that confused with checks and balances. Checks and balances are the necessary part of those separation of powers in order to make sure that each branch is doing what they're supposed to and not getting too, too big too powerful uh, and doing anything that, you know, is not good for the, the Republic. Alrighty. So we have that and there's a, a document, uh, a required document, excuse me, Fed 51, which details how important, you know, separation of powers and checks and balances are and how this new government is going to handle those things. Okay. So once again, you don't have to memorize Fed 51. You don't have to be able to quote from Fed 51, but you do need to be able to understand the big idea from Fed 51. Hey, checks and balances, separation of powers are important. It's going to protect the government. It's going to protect the people from abuses by the majorities, by uh, these branches, and, and they're not going to be able to get too big. They're not going to be able to get too powerful. The president's not going to have too many powers because the Congress can always check them. The president can check Congress. Congress and the president can check the, the Supreme Court, which we'll get into in a few minutes. Um, so, a uh, little break real quick. And I'm back, sorry, uh, had a, someone 
step into the classroom. I had to take a break for just a quick second. All right, so we were finishing up Fed 51 about checks and, and balances and those sorts of things. Uh, the next thing is the implications of separation of powers and checks and balances for the U.S. political system. Okay, so first off, the one of the big things here is that we, because of this you know, separation of powers, there's multiple places for me and you. We're stakeholders. We're constituents. We have multiple places we can go. All right. At the national level, obviously, we have the president. Okay. Now, the president is probably not going to be very responsive to uh, individuals. There's 350 million people that the president is responsible for, in theory. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of difficult. But we do have the option. You know, there's always the hey, maybe we can get a hold of the president. All righty. Uh, if that doesn't work, we can go to Congress. We, we have our congressman. Our representative represents us here in, in uh, our district here in Gwinnett. Um, our senators represent us here in Georgia. So we have those those places we can go. If we want to go further down, you know, when we get into federalism, you know, we have our state representatives and things like that. So um, there's multiple places for me and you to, to try and influence policy, to try and influence our our, our uh our representatives, our president, and the people that are uh, are there for uh, there for us. Okay, uh, very quickly, or not not quickly, but just the last thing is what I was trying to say. I was going to say I'm going to do this quickly. I uh, didn't mean that that way. Uh, the final part of this is um, some of the checks and balances specifics, uh, and the big one is impeachment. Okay, um, remember Congress can impeach both the president and federal judges. Now they cannot take out state judges. They can't take out governors and things like that. And they can't take out each other with impeachment, but they can remove the president. They can remove the uh, uh, a federal judge. Okay, so the real quick, the, the impeachment process is twofold, just like the amendment process was. The House is going to write up the articles of impeachment. There is, we've had multiple presidents impeached. We've had multiple federal judges impeached, but we've never had a, uh, a president removed from office. Okay, so we've had presidents impeached, never had one removed. The process, remember, is the articles of impeachment are drawn up by the House, okay, and it just takes a simple majority over there. So, like two, uh, my math is horrible, but like two eighteen, something like that, uh, is a, is a majority. Okay, and once they have approved it. It then moves to the Senate. The Senate will hold a trial, and this is it's an official thing. You know, you have judges, and the, and the Senate is basically the jury. Uh, people get to present their their evidence, witnesses, and things like that. The Senate then has a, a, a vote. Two thirds is what it takes to remove a president or a federal judge. We've never had a president removed. Okay. Uh, side note: Me personally, here, I think impeachment has always been used as a political tool and not necessarily, I'm not saying there wasn't wrong things happening, but it's been more of a, okay, we're Republicans, we're going to try to remove this Democratic president, or we're Democrats, we're going to try to remove this Republican president versus, hey, this person has done something super wrong, we need to keep them in check or check them. And um, you know, it, it shows in the fact that the House has done this, they've, they've impeached, but then the Senate has not removed. Uh, so it's, it, to me, it's not really truly used for the reason it's it's geared toward. It's more of a, hey, this is a political tool versus an actual check that they use on the president. My personal opinion, that's just me. All 
All right, guys, uh, that is it for 1.5 and 1.6. I went longer than I meant to. I do apologize for that. been trying to keep these things under 10 minutes so you don't have to listen to me for too long. Uh, I'll try and do better at keeping them shorter from here on out. All right, guys, as always, if you have questions, please, 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 please uh, find me, email me, whatever you got to do, make me answer your questions. All right, guys, take care. Bye-bye.